How's that? Can you hear me? Wow. Well, good morning, church. I was thinking uh, as she was singing about those who serve. Uh, Those who serve often go unsung. No pun intended. That uh, we have this worship team that takes time out of their lives to practice so they will do everything with excellence for the Lord. We have guys in the back that are running the projector and the sound uh, that uh, you don't see them, you don't know their names, but they serve with no expectation of being recognized because they're serving the Lord in what they do. And, uh, but I want to bring that to your attention because this doesn't just happen. Uh, that there is effort necessary for this to happen on Sunday morning. And so uh, I, want to, I want to personally, from Marty and I, to thank those who serve here because we are blessed through your service. I want to take a couple minutes and share the progress we're making with Pathfinder Mission in Haiti. You know, uh, Gateway has uh, set aside funds for 10 houses, three public restrooms uh, to be built in uh, the Ans de Claire region of Haiti. So far, uh, we have built eight houses. Uh, they will be... Those eight houses should be finished by the middle of September. Um, We are making plans uh, to uh, build one public restroom. Uh, There are seven villages. Uh, We're going to build one public restroom in each of the villages. Uh, We're going to build ten houses in each of the villages, which we we have funds for 20 houses at this point. And so we will continue to build houses and the Lord will continue to be the supplier for the resources needed to do that. Uh, But I wanted you to know that you have planted the seed. You've begun the good work in Ans Declare. You're blessing people's lives who never imagined, never imagined that they would have a house with a tin roof. Okay. They would have, they expected to have a house with leaves. Or maybe a tarp if they could find one. But uh, you, we are providing them and a bathroom with that house. And a rain catch system with a cistern so they can catch the rainfall and have water next to their home. It may seem trivial given the life that we live here. But it's huge for those people. And we're doing this through the churches. So the face of the work is the local church and the pastor, not Pathfinder Mission, not Gateway Baptist Church, not the blah who come from the United States, but through the church, through the body of Christ in Haiti. So I want to thank you uh, for your support. We'll continue to keep you appraised. I might even have some pictures. I know that I gave somebody some pictures in email. 
somebody. I don't know who it was. And uh, it's supposed to be posted, but we have many more. And I'd like, I'd like you to see those. Maybe we can get them posted on the bulletin board. A friend of ours, uh, Pastor Doug Moyer, is uh, he's a pastor in Northern California. Right now he's making plans to build the first public restroom. And uh, so he, he will make the plans. Then he, he helped us build the camp in Anstaclair. He came and stayed, with, stayed there with us and built a camp in Anstaclair, and he's going to help do that. It's a unique problem. I'm just not spending too much time on this. But it's a unique problem because we have to be able to move it. And so we have to design a portable public restroom. And so that's what I called him and said, Doug, this is what I need you to do. Let me know when you got it. And so anyway, it's, that's, in, that's in his court now. See, that's what I get to do. I just tell people what to do, and then I back away. They, but uh, he's a wonderful man of God. Um, but we thank the Lord for this church and for its passion to reach the nations. Uh, Any time someone stands in the place I'm standing in, uh, we must do so in humility and an awareness of the great responsibility that comes with speaking to the church. Those of you who stand in this place know that all too well. Paul wrote to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5. Great. Oh, it's right there, too. So, okay. Uh, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, Proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And that's my desire this morning. That your, your faith will not rest upon what I say, but what God says to your heart this morning. So I pray that you'll have, as Jesus said, ears to hear and eyes to see spiritual truth. In our Sunday school class, we're talking about hearing the voice of God. And I have to tell you, I wish God would ask me to do something easy and not speak about the things I, he asked me to speak about. I would like, you know, talk to them about all of the wonderful things of the faith. Don't talk, don't talk to them about the, the challenges of the faith. But that's what he's asked me to do. And so I'll do it. We talked about experiencing God, crisis of belief. You're going to say yes, you're going to say no. You're going to obey God or not. So this morning, I, I will be challenging you. And... Uh, I will be challenging you uh, to consider your life as a Christian. Are you living your life with a divided heart? This time on Sunday morning is not the time for you to have your ears tickled. Your expectation should always be that the one speaking is yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
And the preacher's expectation is that you have come to hear and receive spiritual truth. What we do here is not a ritual. It's worship. The church, you, have gathered to worship and glorify God. To lift Jesus up. And to allow the Spirit to do a work in your life. That's why you should be here. If that's why you're here, say amen. I'm sorry. If that's why you're here, say amen. Oh, thank you. Thank you for in the background. This morning I want to talk to you about the danger of trying to love God with a divided heart. When Rome conquered other nations, they allowed pagan practices of that nation to be added to their religion. The reason they did that was to win the people over. To not say you can no longer worship that way, you must worship this way. They brought in some of their beliefs to make it easier to control the people. Sticking religions, belief systems together is a problem today. Generally, we talk about it more with, in terms of undeveloped countries than we do with our country. But the term that's used is syncretism. S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M. Syncretism. I promise that's the only big word I'm going to share with you this morning. But let me give you an example. A team of short-term missionaries go to Haiti. They share the gospel with the Haitians. Some pray to receive Christ. The missionaries leave feeling they have accomplished their purpose. And their purpose was a spiritually noble one. But for some of those Haitians, they simply added Jesus to the stack of other gods they already worship. They didn't, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the old things did not pass away. They held on to the old things and added a new thing. Oh, you want me to pray to Jesus? I'll do that. You want me to believe in Jesus? I'll do that. But I'm going to do that with the rest of these gods that I already worship. But we leave thinking that they have abandoned their old life. And, and they're now walking a new life. And it's not always the case. Now, fortunately, with Gateway, we are partnered with a church, Pastor Mark's church, primarily. And Pastor Mark follows up with those people. And so he, they work with those people to confirm and to disciple. But that's not always the case. For many, the right words are prayed, but the hearts are not surrendered. This problem is not limited to third world countries. Billy Graham estimated, estimates that only 25%, 25% of the people who come forward in his crusades are actually converts. 25%. People responding to the moment. Rebirth is a change of the heart, not convincing the intellect. 
In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus approached Jesus seeking to know about eternal life, Nicodemus wanted to know more. And Jesus answered and said, Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There must be a heart change. It can't just be more information. Knowing about God, you have to submit to God. Syncretism applies to those who are not Christians. But the problem I want to talk to you about this morning is not about people who were not converted, but those who are. It's a trap that many Christians fall into. Trying to live the Christian life with a divided heart. I want to talk to you about the symptoms, the source, and the solution. Now, the reason I alliterated is because we're in a Baptist church. And if you're in a Baptist church, you always alliterate during a sermon. What I'm sharing this morning is not something you don't know and that you've not experienced. It's something that we prefer not to think about. I'm certainly not condemning anyone. If I did, I'd have to condemn myself first. It's my purpose to encourage the church to be the church in this dark culture in these difficult days. As Christians, we're called to live a life of holiness, a life that's set apart from the culture we live in. I want to ask you, where is God in your life? Is he first? Or is he in some other place? Matthew 22, 37, 39. You're familiar with this. We, we have it on our wall. Jesus said we can reduce all the commandments down to just two. Love God first with your, all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, the Ten Commandments are divided that way. If you look, if you read the Ten Commandments in Exodus, you'll see that the first four commandments are about God. And the last six commandments are about others. Okay. It's all about God first. And others second. I don't think I mentioned me. Because it's all about God first. And others second. God said there can be nothing that is more important to you than him. Nothing. If there is, whatever it is, that's your God. This is the hard part I didn't want to talk about. Listen. The reason God says these things is because he knows we will struggle with them. And so he speaks to us about them. He provides the, the caution in his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 is not on the list. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scriptures God breathes and is profitable for us. It does some four things for us. 
God has told us this is going to be a problem. If you're a professing Christian, God must be first in your life. Now listen, if he's not first in your life, then he's not in your life. God is either in first place or he is in no place. Don't deceive yourself. No matter what you want to believe, there is not a good enough faith. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were with God. But the temptation was that they could be like God. God created them in his image, but that wasn't good enough. They wanted to put their trust in themselves. They defined their own rules for their relationship with God. And what was the result? They were cast out of the garden. Living a life of faith means putting your trust in God, the God that you cannot see. You know God's present. We see his creation. We see his provision. We have his spirit in us who testifies about God. We may not be able to see God, but we know he is. Amen? Yet even with all that evidence around us and in us, we still put our trust in other things. Romans Chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they gave, became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. As Christians, we know what is right, but we're still tempted to worship other things, other gods. When I say worship, what I'm referring to is that thing or those things that we put our trust and hope in. The thing that we find our satisfaction in. The thing that we're willing to compromise our relationship with God for. The Bible tells us about the God of this world, Satan, in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute. Okay, that, that verse is not for Christians. That verse is for non-Christians. That's not for me. It's true. But your struggle with temptation to go your own way is not with your spiritual nature. It's with your old nature. Your flesh. But with the power of God's Spirit in you, And with his word, you can stand against it. 
As believers, we are tempted with those things that the world has to offer as counterfeit for God's best. Well, why do Christians choose not to trust God? Because their hearts are dedicated to other things. Because they want to be like God. That's why Adam was cast from the garden. That's why Lucifer, Satan, was cast from heaven. Like them, we want to define what's right and wrong. We prefer to trust ourselves to know what is right for us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord and don't lean on your own understanding. It says, When you do that, God will make your path straight. Trust God, don't trust yourself. Are you having trouble with that? That was rhetorical. Look, we all struggle. We all struggle with preferring things other than God. All of us do. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says what? There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God will make a way so that we can bear it. We have to choose to turn to that way. Matthew 19, 16 to 22. How am I doing with time? I can't see the clock. Good? I, I got another hour? Thank you. Am I in Haiti? They, it says... And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to Jesus, Which ones? I mean, there's a lot of commandments. Which ones do I have to keep to go to heaven? Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. Steal, bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor. The young man said to him, I've done all these things. What am I still lacking? Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus met a young man who was interested in having eternal life. He was doing everything right. He hadn't murdered anybody. He hadn't committed adultery. He hadn't stolen. He hadn't lied. He honored his parents. He loved his neighbor, he was proud of himself and thought, surely I have done enough to go to heaven. Jesus talked to him about all the things they had to do with man towards man. The last six commandments. Then Jesus said, sell everything and follow me. Jesus knew 
that the man thought he could be righteous on his own. That he, that his trust was in his wealth. The young man thought that he was like God. Jesus knew that the man would have to surrender his life and the very thing that he trusted the most. And the man left sorrowful. He would not give up what he trusted, even if it meant giving up eternal life. He would not do it. That's how strong the desire is to worship other things. Strong enough to cause you to turn from God and live your own life. 1 Timothy uh, 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You notice it says that it's the love of money, not money. Money can be used for wonderful things. But it's the love of money. It's where that money has its place in your heart is where the problem is. Matthew 6.24 No one can serve two masters. Either, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You remember when I said earlier, if God is not first pla- in first place, he is no place. The word says, you can't do both. Our old nature says, yes, you can. That was the young man's problem. He believed he could do both. He was deceiving himself. He had a divided heart. When Jesus said, follow me, it was because John 14, 6. He wanted eternal life. Follow me, Jesus said. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I just told you, sell everything you have. And follow me. The young man wanted another way, but there isn't one. For many people, money is their God, even for Christians. They believe that money is the answer. But money does not fill the space that God has created in each one of us. Only God can do that. When a very rich man in the United States who had more money than he could spend in several lifetimes was asked, how much more money do you need? He answered with a smile, just a little bit more. You will never be satisfied. Money will never satisfy that place in your heart. Only God can do that. If you love money, you won't love God. I didn't say that. God did.
Don't you wish you got to preach this message? So how about you? What do you trust in? Okay, this is, I told Marty, I said, you hear that? Listen, that's the ice cracking beneath my feet. I told Marty, I said, you, I, I, I'm going to say this, but I hope, hope you still love me afterwards. What if I told you that God revealed to me during my study that Christians must reject football as being evil? Okay, if you decide to stop listening to me, don't, because it gets better. (laughs) You think I'm a religious fanatic, and I'm not. Did something rise up in you just then? Maybe anger, or perhaps guilt, or desperation? Are you saying, please, God, don't let that be true? Well, good news to all you football fans. He didn't tell me that. But if he did, would you be willing to abandon football? Are you more devoted to football than you are to God? Like the wealthy young man, do you have a divided heart? Are you willing to take down your posters, take the stickers off your car, take your sports clothing to goodwill? Sell your season tickets on eBay? Would you walk away from football if God told you to? I want you to think about that. And if it's not football, maybe it's something else in your life. Are you willing to walk away from it? Or has it captured your heart? Are you lying to yourself and say, it really doesn't control me? But I can't let go of it. It's not about money or the football that's or football is the problem. It's loving something more than God that's the problem. Maybe it's not football or money, maybe it's the people you associate with. You've conformed to their walk and talk. You know what the Word says about both, but you want to be in their company. You want their acceptance, even if it means rejecting the truth. You're willing to live with a divided heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 to 18. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit?
just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what's unclean, and I welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Those are hard verses. Do you find that you have more than one vocabulary? One for church? One for home? One for your friends? One for work? You have a divided heart. You've accepted some sin as tolerable. You've been deceived. God can have no part of sin. He will not wink at sin or ignore it. It's contrary to His nature. You're deceiving yourself. You have a divided heart. Church, we're to be salt and light in this culture. In this city, a peculiar people, a holy nation, a light on a hill. How can we be if we are indistinguishable from the world? If there is no difference. Are you a Christian and are struggling with keeping God first in your life? Let me answer for all of us. Yes. We all struggle with that. Good news. 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today can be the day. When you leave this place with an undivided heart. Having a heart for God. A whole heart for God. We, there's a lot of angst over the elections in November. Do you think God's worried about that? We need to trust in God and not in ourselves. We need to put our full trust and confidence in God. Stop trusting the media. Stop trusting the presidential candidates to make things better. We need to be salt and light in this dark time. And we can't be with undivided hearts, with divided hearts. We, we cannot be if we have something else in the place where God's supposed to be.
Only you can answer that. I can't. I don't know your heart. God does. So I'd encourage you this morning. I'm, as, I'm going to encourage you to make a commitment before you leave this place. Not to me. Not to the church here. But it's just between you and God. Psalm 51. When David was confronted by the prophet Nathan over his sin. If you recall, David had Uriah, the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, killed to cover David's sin. And the prophet Nathan confronted him. And in Psalm 51, David said to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Is that your desire this morning? That God would create a new heart in you. It's my desire. If, if you have the opportunity to do what some of us have been doing here, you'll understand that the greatest change that takes place is in the life of the person that's preparing to tell the congregation what God has said. This, this message has brought me into conviction and I would trust that for all or some has brought you under conviction as well. Conviction to be salt and light. The Bible says, and I'll close with this, the Bible says that Jesus said that salt that has lost its savor is good for nothing and should be cast out on the path to be trampled under men's feet. Okay. We're, we, church, we're losing our saltiness. And there's never been a time when saltiness has been more needed in this culture. So I encourage you in that. So the praise team will come up. I was going to pray after, but I think I'll pray now. And, uh, and then the service will be closed uh, at the end of the song. Father, Lord, as we consider our new life in Jesus, as we consider, Lord, your purpose for each one of us, as we consider, Father, the challenges that we face walking in this world, dealing with temptation, struggling with choices. Father, that we would look to the hills from whence our help cometh. That we would trust in you with all our hearts. That we would not lean on our own understanding that we would acknowledge you in all our ways, that we would not choose another way, that whatever we do or say, it will bring glory to you and it will lift up the name of Jesus to the world. I thank you for the church, those that are here today. 
I pray, God, that you will give them strength. That you'll fill them with your spirit. That you will encourage them, Lord. That they'll be mindful of who they are in Christ. No matter where they are during the week. And we pray all of this. In Jesus' name. Amen.